Good morning, everybody. My name is Jackie. I am the current Mercy and Justice Deacon. Current, so you can vote for me again. Um, and I've got the joy of sharing with you this morning. I am going to need some helpers. Great. Okay, so what we're going to be doing today, we are going to be acting out the sermon. How's that? Yeah? Do you think we can make that work? So none of these helpers have really been trained, but we're going to make this work. All right, so this part here in the front is going to be the stage between these two green chairs. Off stage is on that side. So everybody's off stage. Matt, go stand with Dad. Awesome. All right. Now, to start off with, we need Peter and Paul who are going to join us on stage. Our scene opens with Peter and Paul not being very friendly. In fact, Paul has something quite harsh to say to Peter. So, um, Peter. <laughs> I, ha I have to say to you, to your face and in front of all these people, that what you're doing is not in line with the gospel. Whoa, let's slow down here. What's going on? I think we need to take a few steps back to see how we got here. Peter and Paul can exit the stage. <laughs> Sorry. Our story is actually going to open with a very sad part in the church history, which was the stoning of Stephen. And because of this, many Christians actually scattered across all parts of that world. They went to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. And here is the drawing of Antioch, just to help our imaginations. Because we didn't have photographs, this is a hand drawing of what Antioch looked like. Now, in Acts 11, we see two believers. So we have a believer from Cyprus and Cyrene, a Cypriot and a Syrian, they arrive in Antioch. All right. Thank you. You two can stand here. But in Antioch, there were lots of different people groups because Antioch was in a place where roads crossed over and lots of, lots of different people came together. So Hannah, can you come and be a Greek person living in Antioch? And then Nick and Matt can join us here. Anna, you can come stand on my left. This is the Jewish and the Syrian people, and then we've got a Macedonian and Roman as well. So you can see, you guys can all line up. You can see in Antioch, there were lots of different people groups. And our Cyrenian and our Cypriot couldn't help but share the gospel because that's what they carried. So they told the good news of Jesus to the people that they met. And these people were so open to, to hearing from Jesus that they became believers in Christ. And together, you can huddle around and share bread. Share the bread, Matt. You can break it and share it. Break and share the bread. Okay. 
So many people came to faith in Jesus and shared their lives together. The Lord was helping the believers, we read in Acts 11, and a large group of people believed and turned to the Lord. The church in Jerusalem heard about this, so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And when he reached Antioch, he saw how God had blessed the people, and he was glad. And he encouraged all the believers in Antioch. And many of the, fellow, many of the followers, many became followers of the Lord. And then Barnabas gets this idea that he needs to bring Saul to come and encourage this church. So he goes off and finds Saul. He travels to Tarsus and then comes back again. And Saul comes. And together, Saul and Barnabas spend a whole year with the church, encouraging them and teaching them. And during this time, if the believers haven't turned their signs around, they have. You can see they've all become Christian. So maybe before they identified as Syrian, then they became Christian Syrians. And the Bible tells us that this was the first time that a group of believers actually took on a new identity as Christian. Before that, whenever believers had gathered, they, were no, they were saw themselves as Jewish believers in Jesus. But this was the first time you see people take on a new identity, where their ethnic origins were diverse and still important, but now they took on an identity in Christ. Now, I'm going to need my two newest recruits. These two are Jewish believers coming from Jerusalem. They come to visit. And Peter's also happening to be visiting at this time in this church in Antioch. So you two come and join. Peter's really excited about having friends from Jerusalem. But you know what happens? Instead of inviting his Jewish friends to join the multicultural church, and the expression of Christianity. He separates them, as he had done way back in the past. And his Gentile brothers and sisters were left on their own. We read in Galatians that when Cephas, which is another name for Peter, came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Well, do the acting after this. Okay, Paul, let me just read. From Galatians. Before certain men arrived from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other, the other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Barnabas was also led astray. Come, Barnabas. <laughs> And then Paul said, when I saw he was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish traditions? So up went the dividing walls, up went the segregation. And I wonder how these Jewish, these Gentile Christians were, were thinking, what were they thinking at this stage? Because they all used to eat together. They all were fellow, in fellowship as equal brothers and sisters. 
Remember, they'd all taken on this new identity as Christians, and they were knitted together as a new people. Were their old rejections and their old hurts stoked again when they were no longer welcome at the table? So Paul can't, can't stand watching this. Paul goes to Peter. <laughs> he looked at the situation and he had to speak up. This division in the church is not part of God's plan. In fact, it's out of line with the gospel. In fact, a very important part of the good news is that Jesus destroyed the dividing line between uh, Jews and Gentiles. We should not build it up again. So I like to imagine, although it doesn't say in Scripture, I like to imagine that Peter took this to heart and acted on it. And I like to imagine, given the fact that we see Paul working with Barnabas in the future and the church flourishing, I like to imagine that they all came together and broke bread together. <laughs> all right. Can the actors take a bow? So I just want to backtrack a little in the story because I myself got a bit distracted. I just want to backtrack to Peter's life because Paul reaching out to Peter, it wasn't the first time that Peter had come across this message, right? Here is an artwork that's showing an angel visiting Cornelius because God had actually done a lot of work in the past to, to speak to Peter about the situation between the Jews and Gentiles. So we saw an angel visiting a Roman called Cornelius, someone who was sincerely seeking the Lord. This is back in Acts 10. And we saw how the angel said to him, you must go and find someone called Peter. Hmm. There we go. And Peter at this time had, was somewhere else, had fallen into a deep sleep, a trance, and receives a vision from God which expands his understanding of who is acceptable and what is acceptable and who is in and who is out. And when he wakes up, the Holy Spirit tells him to go with the people that Cornelius had sent. And then once he goes with Cornelius, whoops, wrong direction, he arrives at Cornelius' house, tells them all about Jesus, and then he watches the Holy Spirit come upon them and and God does all of this to get this message across that in God's kingdom, there is no superiority and inferiority. There's, you know, this better than or less than thinking must end because Jesus' gospel is a message of reconciliation between God and humans. But also, it, it breaks down the dividing walls of hostility between humans. And Peter actually... He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears them and the one who does what is right. But we know God needed to be so intentional about this message because he understood that Peter grew up in a society that in, wherever Peter looked, there was this message that there's a separation between Jews and Gentiles. And this idea was built on the thinking 
that Jews were better than, than Gent- and Gentiles were less than. And so this way of seeing God, the world had grown in, in, in Peter's heart because it was in the very fabric of his society. In fact, it was actually built into the fabric of the temple. And this is part of a sign that was on the wall that warned Gentiles that you aren't allowed to come beyond this point um, on penalty of death. So we see these divisions that Peter had, were just, it was just the air that he breathed. And God knows that we, even us in, in this time, we need his help to recognize the divisions and to undo these divisions because they feel so normal to us. And Peter actually, to his credit, was really open to God. He was convicted about God's message of reconciliation, and he went to the church elders in Jerusalem and made a case to them where he explained that God's message was for the Gentiles too. And they accepted this message, but like most of us, when we are unlearning the ways of division and apartheid, if I could call it that, it's not a linear process. There's some steps forward, and as we saw in our play, there's some steps backwards. Sometimes a whole lot of stumbling backwards. And that's what, yeah, that's what we saw in the play. So we can't say Peter regresses back to his prejudice because he is far from God or have little faith. Remember that throughout Acts, we see him preaching. We see him hearing from God. I mean, he had that miraculous escape from prison. Well, not escape, like a rescue, God intervening. Peter was a man who loved Jesus. In fact, he walked with Jesus, and yet he still was able to be overcome by these long-held prejudices and this long-lived separation, this apartheid. It's a deep, deep work to undo these things. And Peter needed Paul to point out his blind spots. He needed Paul to show him, whoa, you're returning to the old ways, what God set us free from. And Paul urgently intervened. Because he recognized that Peter's actions were undermining the heart of the gospel. It wasn't just about being politically correct. Paul says it's out of line with the gospel. It's threatening the well-being of the church, threatening the witness of the church. Now, this is a little picture of us in Pinelands, and this is a little picture of us in Langa. And we still live in a divided city. We're not so different from, from Peter. We have signs of division all over our city. And some of us may have recognized the ministry of racial reconciliation being an important part of the restorative part of the gospel. Um, but because our thinking, our lives, the very concrete of our city has been defined by apartheid, um, we too can slip back into our default setting where we do church along the dividing walls of hostility. And as I reflect on this passage this morning, there's two things that I want to say. The first thing, and we're going we're gonna to come to this now, is our church has been on an amazing journey around this. Um, we've walked many milestones, and we're going to tell that story now. And just like Peter, we've needed Holy Spirit, supernatural 
intervention to get us where we are today. But we're going to need ongoing Holy Spirit superpower, supernatural in intervention because this work is hard. And we need each other to awaken us sometimes when we fall asleep and to re-inspire us because this work is also tiring. Um, and if Peter, who walked with Jesus and saw him raised from the dead and was filled at Pentecost, needed help from God, how much more do we need God's grace to walk in the ways of racial reconciliation and healing? So that's my first point. We can't do this, and we haven't been doing it, and we won't continue doing it without Holy Spirit and all of, of what the gospel offers us. And then, which kind of I'm jumping forwards and backwards because I'm going to move into the story of our church, our heritage as our church. Um, and you'll see the journey we've been on. And like Peter needed a brother or a sister in Christ who wasn't afraid to talk about painful or tricky topics, we need people who can point out our blind spots, Right? And you'll see the journey we've been on at PBC is because we've, we've been doing that and because we need to continue to do that. It is for God's glory that sometimes we need to say, mm, that's, not, that's not working so well or that's not in line with the scripture. So we can build a church where all people are truly seen as equals, brothers and sisters, where we can celebrate all nations, all tribes and tongues, and where we honor God's image in each person. So we need to not be frightened of these encounters that we saw Paul and Peter engaging in. And I love the fact that, that they continue in ministry together. There wasn't any canceling, you're out of here, I'm over you. There was this, this moving together, staying in the in the in the hard times, and pushing through and finding a new way of being family. And so we, we can learn from that. And I think our church community is on this journey where, where we're starting to build a culture where we can start being that honest with each other. And we, we even this week, between Mercy and Justice and some of the elders, we were having to grapple with some things that, that didn't quite fit. And, and I'd love to see that extend to our congregation. So if you are feeling... You have a Paul anointing this morning to come and speak to someone and say, mm, when you said that, that hurts our church. We need, to, we need to have grace to hear. Or might you have a Peter anointing and, and have grace to receive such, such a message. So as we keep on our journey, it's going to keep being messy, but it's, keep going to be, it's going to keep on being good. And we're going to build this church where all nations, tribes, and tongues are, are giving glory to God together and where we honor God's image in each person. We're going to move into a Heritage Day storytelling time. So Heritage Day is a time for looking back on what shaped us. And we thought as a steering team, since Cindy and I had an opportunity to tell our PPC story at the Church and Racial Reconciliation Conference, it would be a lovely opportunity to take, to share our story with us because some of us are new and some of us um, may have forgotten because <laughs> it's been a long journey. It's good to pause and remember. 
I think we can learn that from our, our Jewish brothers and sisters, the pausing, the remembering, the storytelling. And that points us in the direction where we must keep going. So I'm going to try and summarize a lot in a little time with a few milestones. And I've asked a few people to share as well. And I'm hoping that this time is both going to challenge us, but also give us a sense of thankfulness. Um, because we have come on a journey. And Cindy and I can testify to that when we were at the conference. We do have a story to tell. God has been working. When you start telling the story, you also start realizing there's so much more to do. But it's good to remember what God has done. So... Telling a story is very hard because you actually don't know where to start, right? God's always moving and always has been. But I'm going to start at a moment that I've noticed our church elders and those who've been here for a while always seem to go back to. But I know God was moving before this. The incident or the moment I'm going to talk about is, I don't know if you can see there, but those are images from the Marikana massacre that took place. I forget the date now and I forgot to write it down. I want to say... 2012, thank you. August 12, thank you, Craig. And I am told that at that time, it sparked a deep lament in our elders and our pastors. A real sense that there was pain in our country that was giving expression through this violence. And knowing that Jesus must have an answer to this, but recognizing that it has to start in the church. But those who were part of the eldership at the time, I am told, didn't really know what to do. There wasn't this clear plan. But God was very clear that they had to do something. They had to start. And I just want to honor that today. They knew they had to face the divisions in the church. They had to face the, the pain around our past in our church. They didn't know how, but they did start. And I want to honor that. And I also want to learn from that. Where I may sometimes feel like I don't know what to do, so I don't do anything. But they've modeled for us. You just start because God says go. And he'll show you the next steps. One of the steps, again, as I've listened to stories, because I think I just kind of joined the church around this time, was the elders were recognizing that the church was only nominating white men into eldership. And the elders realized they couldn't manipulate the situation. They, were, they felt God's lament around it, but they couldn't try and twist the situation or kind of make their, you know, sort of, yeah, manipulate is probably the best word. And the pathway that God gave them, or just to note that elders can't nominate in our church. It's the congregation who chooses. The elders don't have that authority or mandate. It's us who choose. So, so the elders couldn't just fix the situation. So what did they do? God gave them a pathway of repentance. And we can share with you if you're interested. There was this beautiful statement of repentance that was shared, took time to be rewritten, and was shared at each of the congregations, just a lament at the current situation and what it means and what it meant for God's heart. 
It wasn't shaming. It was just an honest repentance. And something in that, God works. Something unlocked. That action unlocked something in our community. And we started seeing people of color being nominated onto our eldership. Just a little note here. Something I learned from from Cindy's boss, Minor, at the Church and Reconciliation Conference, that these, these labels, black, white, colored, people of color, they are human invention, right? They're not God's plan. But we understand that these are the systems that we live in and we do need to name it. So I do that with great sorrow because we know that God has created us all as human and I want to just uphold that truth and recognize the complexity of our situation that I do need to describe. So just, just to put that in there. So choosing a pathway of repentance rather than forcing or shaming the congregation unlocked a deep prejudice and, and brought the first steps of restitution in, in, our, in our church. Okay, now, now the milestone journey gets a bit wonky because like any journey, it's not linear. And so the next couple of things are almost more like lots of things happening at the same time, but I've just had to separate them out. These are just, I just quickly went to our SoundCloud um, page, whatever you call it, where we upload our sermons. And these are just some of the sermon series. Um, you can see they're diversity conversations, land matters, courageous conversations. There was also a series on restitution that Ken Jackson, the previous um, pastor led. There was a revolution generosity thing that Lorata's Hope led. There was teaching on women in leadership. There was lots of teaching. Theology that demonstrate God's heart for diversity, as well as teaching about repentance and restitution and forgiveness and reconciliation. And all of us have been present as Craig has unpacked the Equip series, where even in there we see um, theology that gives us tools to deal with the racial pain in our country. We've been nourished with this gospel that includes, yes, personal salvation, but also includes bringing heaven down to earth for restoration of all people and all things. And so we haven't had to use like a secular mechanism, secular social justice mechanism where shaming or cancel culture has been our way to manipulate each other to act better. No, we've been demonstrating that scripture has the answers. Jesus is the answer. And so we've been able to speak to racism, to superiority and inferiority, to structural oppression, internal bias, all with Jesus. And it sounds a bit like cliched, Jesus is the answer, but he really has been. And we've really gone deep with that. In fact, I really want to encourage you all to read Craig's thesis on this. He's actually told our story in a lot of detail with theology, and it is available. So please come chat to me or Craig. In fact, I think we should put it on the website, Craig. I've been sharing it with so many people because it's been such a helpful framework of a real-life situation with theology that's foundational to it. So all this teaching has been happening in our church community very intentionally. At the same time, we've been having, we had gatherings, gatherings in our church building, as you can see there, um, gatherings in homes over dinners. 
where we've been listening to each other's stories and telling our stories, where we've been visiting different parts of the city, as you can see here, as the Mercy and Justice team have been leading pilgrimages, um, where we've been asking the question, what has God been doing here? How has apartheid affected me? What privileges did apartheid give to me? How has apartheid shaped our city? What has the church been doing about this? And I'm going to ask Cindy and um, after that, Lindsay, to come and just share some reflections on this part of our journey. Um, you okay, Cindy? So um, Jackie asked me to share just a little bit about um, an analogy that we, um, that we use to describe our PBC family. And um, we see people from very many backgrounds here this morning. And one might be tempted to refer to us as a melting pot of different cultures. But um, I think a picture that more adequately describes us is a, a fruit salad or a salad bowl. Um, but at the same time, we need to be very cautious that we don't smother this fruit salad in a vanilla custard. <laughs> um, what are some examples of this vanilla custard? We've got younger ones in the audience also. I'll just make some simple examples. Have you heard somebody ever say, I don't see color? Or when you refer to Heritage Day as Bride Day, that's an example of vanilla custard. Instead, we want to continually celebrate our diversity. And examples of that would be how we sing praises to our God in our mother tongue in different languages. Or how at Christmas time we not only um, serve mince pies, but also kusistas. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I'm going to keep this really short because <laughs> yeah, we are a church where everyone is not only welcome, but each one is invited. You know, it's easy to say, oh, no, you're welcome to come. But each one is invited to share in the bread. So thank you. Thank you, Cindy. And I just want to honor Cindy because the Holy Spirit gave her that picture of the fruit salad during one of these communal conversations. And it has been such a guiding light to us. And we just want to honor her for bringing that. Um, Lindsay. Yeah, so I think um, one of the things that stood out for me was when we would, after some of those Sunday morning sermons, um, break into smaller groups and then share stories. Um, it wasn't discussion groups, you know, it was, um, I mean, to put it bluntly, you know, the directive was, um, if you are on the lighter tone of skin color, you keep quiet, and you allow those with darker skin tones like myself to share the story of how you experience discrimination. Um, now, there were many stories I could tell, and somehow or the other, I just felt I wanted to rather share the story of the discrimination that my family experienced. Um, I'm talking now from my dad's side of the family um, and how his whole life, you know, in the career path 
that he found himself in experienced discrimination. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to repeat that story, but, you know, um, I realized that I'd never actually shared that story. And when I did, um, there were emotions, you know, that kind of welled up in me in sharing that. And after I shared that story, you know, and, and people acknowledged, you know, because they were, they were listening to, to that experience, um, I think it brought a sense of relief <laughs> as such. But I was also struck by how that story impacted other people. So that years later, in fact, about two or three weeks ago, somebody said to me, I remember the story that you told when we were having this conversation and what it actually meant to them to say, but that's the way it was, you know, because that was one of the things that the past had done to us, you know, that discriminate, the discriminatory practices in our country had done to us that people really didn't know, you know, and to have that story being shared and heard and acknowledged, you know, I think just brought about that realization, you know, um, as to what it was, you know, so it was, I think those discussions were real healing processes, you know, for, for, for many, um, and I think it brought even a sense of personal relief to be able to tell a story that I not, did not even realize, you know, had um, a personal impact upon me. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And I just want to acknowledge that sharing stories like this is, is costly. It takes an immense amount of emotion and bravery. And my big learning from that time is I, I just assumed people wanted to tell their stories and that it was easy. And it was only a few years ago that I learned, wow, how hard it was for some of our friends of of color to, to be that vulnerable and and we don't take that for granted because some of us, me included, needed our eyes to see and I wouldn't see, I wouldn't have been able to see without those stories but I, I also recognize the cost that those stories um, yeah, cost people and I want to honor and thank God and thank those who've shared their stories because it's shaped who we are and and I remember from that time, one of the big pictures for me was sort of in my home, I've obviously put my furniture in a certain way, and guests come, and they can come and use my furniture. They're very welcome. But family members get to tell me where to put the furniture. They get to say, I think we should move the couch there. And that's the kind of church we want to be, where all of our church members equally get to say, oh, we need to move this couch because that makes more sense to me, or that's part of my healing, that's part of my heritage, and so um, that's really what this season was about. I also just want to pause here and, and just remind people that we are going to be hosting another pilgrimage on the 14th of October. Um, you can see some photos there. We'll be following a similar route to this one, where we visit different churches, and they're amazing stories of what God was doing in our city during the time of slavery, what God was doing to undo it, and where Christians were blind to it and reinforcing it. And we're going to go listen to those stories, being in that place. We're going to read scripture together. We're going to pray together. We're also going to tell our own stories together because there are people in our own congregation who can look on their family tree and see my granny or my granny's ma was a slave who carry a name that was given to their family because 
they arrived in a certain month in our country and someone decided their name should be February because of that month or whatever month it may be. So they literally, the slavery is, is rooted in our city still. And we are not going just to like, just only talk about how bad it was, but we, we're going to learn what God was doing to undo that and how that was undone on one level and how we get to be part of God's work today to bring God's healing and restoration into places of injustice. So please join us. Right, we're almost getting to the climax of our story in that this talk, this storytelling, this teaching, it doesn't just happen if, it's, if it doesn't bring real change, if it doesn't bring something that makes a difference in the way we are us. And what we found happening, and I'm going to try and summarize a lot into a little, is a remarkable, miraculous provision of God and an outpouring of restitutive finances so that we could appoint both Bevan and Bernadette, which wasn't a pity appointment. It wasn't tokenism. It was we had realized as a church that we need this. We need them. We need the flavor of the fruit salad that they bring. We need it for the witness of our church. We need it so that God's name would be glorified. And, and that was just the next step, and it felt so right, and it didn't feel yucky or awkward. Um, and I'd love to tell you more about that story, um, because you could probably sit and have an hour-long storytelling of God's moving in people's hearts and provision and generosity and it was complex. We have to also acknowledge that. It was complex. It was complicated. Um, go listen to Bevan and Cindy tell their story, how complex it was for them. In, instead of being called to a poorer community where they could have brought their skills, God was sending them to Nineveh, to the rich community that had more than enough. What does that mean for their family and friends? It was hard. But God has blessed this. God has blessed their obedience. God has blessed Bernadette who served with us and is now in Capricorn and now we're here. What God is doing between us and the church there, God is doing something. His kingdom is coming. Even Kirk and, and Taryn joining us as part of this beautiful story. And it makes who we are into a more, more fruit, fruity fruit salad and we just want to honor that. And Chris, you were part of that story, and you have a little memory to share with us of that time. Thanks, yeah. Jackie asked me to sh um, share what I can remember from that time, and there was only one thing I remember clearly, uh, or part of it was clearly. I was having one of my worst days at work ever. You know, you have one of those days at work where your faith is like completely stretched, and I was walking around a, a site in Durban, um, and everything was going wrong. And then I got a phone call from Craig. <laughs> um, and I said, Craig, I want to sit down. And Craig called me because I was serving on the fellowship at the time. And I can't remember exactly, but I think it was that we'd reached the threshold for Bevan. I can't quite remember what it was. I think it was that. And I was like, yay, something's gone right today. <laughs> the rest of the day still went downhill. <laughs> but it was like, and I can still, I can take you to that exact spot where I was standing on that, on that site when I got that phone call. 
because it was exactly like you said, Jackie. We needed Devin and his family, not just Devin. It was his whole family. We needed you. Um, yeah, so it was just a memory that I have of it, and there was a lot of other stuff happening at the time. But Thank you for sharing the joy of that, the joy of restitution, the joy of partnering with God. Um, so often we think these words are scary, especially as white people, but it is a joy. It's a release. It's a freedom. It's a joy. And hopefully it's also a joy for our friends of color. Um, and just as a Mercy and Justice team, we're very aware that all of this diversity stuff, doing justice, isn't just about starting a program that we can all point to and say, ah, this is what's happening. It's about how we all live. And that's what God, we're in the season now where we're trying to figure out what does it mean for, you know, you where you are, you where you are, you where you are, in your places of influence, bringing God's justice, bringing God's restoration, racial healing, gender healing, all sorts of healing where there's been discrimination and pain. Each one of us gets to be part of the story where we are. And that's a lot of what the church has mandated the Mercy and Justice team to try and catalyze and and equip people to do that. And also, that we don't have this little like group on the side who, who gets to do this stuff, but every ministry in our church is on a journey to look at what does this mean for us? What does it mean for the young people? And you guys have been amazing examples. We're just saying, of course, Holiday Club, we'll share it with a different community. We'll invite those community, like Bernadette's guys, to come and be leaders with us. We'll go and be with them, and this beautiful restitution and, and racial healing is taking place in that ministry. And, and God is slowly working that out in each of our ministries. That's the last of my storytelling. So those are some of the milestones that have brought us where we are today. And when Kirk and I were talking about the service, I said, I really, I do want us to land with a real sense of thanksgiving because it has been a journey. And some of you have joined us more recently and you take this for granted. But we have to remember that, you know, when apartheid ended, this was a white-only suburb with only white people here. That was the design of, of the apartheid masters. And it remains in the concrete of our city. We can see that. To undo that takes so much work and intentionality. And, and I want to honor our elders and our pastors for having the courage to do that. Because sometimes it has gotten messy. And it will still get messy. And my sense is, is that we're, we need to keep on taking ground. It's going to be tiring at times. And that's where we need to remember the story of Peter and Paul. That, yes, Paul could have just been quiet about it and, and, and just sort of let it slide because that's what our culture likes us to do is to, oh, it's just too much energy to talk about. But no, we've got, to, we've got to encourage the best in each other and talk about it when it doesn't work. And, and I'm starting to see that between on the leadership level and I want to invite the congregation into that. Like each one of you is part of this family. And if we need to move the couch, because it's not working for you, you are invited to tell us to move the couch and show us how. Um, and I also want to invite us to be, 
to be brave and bold like I've seen in some of our elders when, when I've said to them, mm, that does actually seem a bit racist when you say that. Our elders have said, thank you for telling me that. I'm going to repent. And I want to invite all of us to, to be open to that because it brings freedom. And we don't have to tiptoe about each other. We can start rearranging and, and bringing the decor in of our culture, of our heritage, what God's placed in each one of us. And it's going to make this place even more beautiful. Um, so it's a maturing. I feel like we're in a maturing season um, to, to have these hard conversations that are going to bring more fruit and not to shy away from it and not to let fatigue overwhelm us. So as we worship now, just let your hearts be gladdened for what God has been doing. Uh, we want to honor Him, but also be strengthened. You're part of this community. You're part of building this community. Each one of you, we need you. We need your voice. We need your perspective. We need your wisdom. Amen.